week's episode of the Velo News Podcast is brought to you by Flow Bikes. Flow Bikes is your home for the biggest cycling events of 2020. If the coronavirus race cancellations are bumming you out, don't worry. Flow Bikes will be rebroadcasting the most exciting cycling events of the season every week, including Milano San Remo, the Tour of Flanders, Amstel Gold Race, the Giro d'Italia, and much, much more. And in addition to all of these races, Flow Bikes will be checking in regularly with the pro riders themselves to get the inside scoop on how they're adapting to the ever-changing season. 2020 is going to be a wild ride, so join Flow Bikes for the adventure. Sign up today by going to flowbikes.com forward slash velonews. That's F-L-O bikes.com forward slash velonews. And when you purchase a Flow Bikes subscription, you'll get access to the entire Flow Sports Network over 25 sports so don't miss out sign up at flowbikes.com slash velonews that's flobikes.com forward slash velonews okay let's get on with the podcast uh, okay welcome back to the velonews podcast uh kind of a surreal Week here at Velo News, Fred Dreyer coming to you from the Velo News headquarters. I'm the only person in the office uh, today and for the foreseeable future. Our company, like many companies across the globe, has sent everyone home and we are all working from home for the foreseeable future. I'm in for an hour or two to record the podcast and then I am going home and keeping my distance from people and making sure I'm washing my hands. Um, we're going to have a uh, good podcast for you this week, talking more about coronavirus and its impact on pro racing and amateur racing. I have James Start and Andy Hood on the line. Uh, before I get to these guys, you know, there's been a lot of chatter online uh, in the cycling world about, you know, wh whether events should continue. Why if some events are continuing, others are closed down. Um, Velonews was at the Mid-South Gravel Race this past weekend, which continued on Saturday. Um, there was a lot of uh, criticism about that. Um, and, on a, you know, if if you feel that it was irresponsible for that race to continue and for even for Velonews to be there, I don't think there's a, you know, there, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I think all of us in the cycling media and in the cycling space are trying to wrap our heads around what to do. Uh, news has progressed very quickly, and the sentiment around what to do and what should continue and what should cancel has also progressed extremely quickly. And um, we here at Velo News, um, you know, we've always tried to do our job to report at the races about what it's like to be at the races, who's winning, the athletes that are there. Um, I feel like our team on the ground at the Mid-South has done a very good job of reporting on the impact of coronavirus on this race that did continue. Um, there's some good coverage on VeloNews.com this week. I suggest you all check that out. Anyway, that's my preamble. Uh, we're going to catch up right now with James Start and Andrew Hood. James is back at his home in Paris. Andrew is in Spain. Um, James First, on to you. You were at Paris-Nice this week. You are back home in France. Give the listeners a little bit of a feeling of what day-to-day -day life is like now in France. Uh, well, it's interesting you ask that because I just got back from a bike ride. That's the first thing I wanted to do when I got back from Paris-Nice. Uh, and I rode out to Chevreuse where a week ago on Monday, um, we started stage two. 
And it just made me sort of think about how much has changed since then. I mean, we started Pyrenees and Christian Prudhomme was, you know, I mean, we all had, you know, it was a lot of serious pre-race meetings, uh, really talking about, you know, sanitary measures that need to be taken and the importance for us, you know, to hopefully show, or, you know, give a message and show that we could still run a bike race safely and healthily without, you know, with, with, with cert- taking certain measures. That was a week ago, and it's a very different world uh, today. Um, President Macron's speech on, I think it was Thursday, we weren't even sure if really we were going to make it to Nice. Um, in the end, we did. But I think it was Mark Mario that said this morning, he said, you know, we've we've tried plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, all the way up to plan, plan M or N, and everything's ended up in the trash can. We haven't really, you know, we don't really know where we're going with this. Um we didn't manage to, you know, make our way much down to Nice, um, although we did cut off the, the last day. But it, as we, the closer we got, you know, it just everybody knew that this was going to be the last race, and nobody knew when the next one was going to be, and we still don't. And that was it was a very strange feeling. And then I came back, um, you know, I was in Nice yesterday, and um, you know, people are still in the promenade, des Anglais, and life still seemed to be somewhat normal. Although, you know, Saturday night, the prime minister said all social gathering places, restaurants, bars, clubs, were going to be closed. And I was having dinner with a colleague and, you know, realized it was going to be the last supper. And, you know, people were walking around on the on the, on the the promenade and with some semblance and then I, of normality. And then I got back today and went out for this, this bike ride. And I got to say, I, I only saw five people in 70K riding a bike that's not many and what i did see was that the farm the lines just seemed to be getting longer and longer at the supermarkets the pharmacies yeah andy we, you know the last time we checked up uh life seemed to be fairly steady as she goes in spain now as we are connecting on the morning of uh monday march 16th it sounds like daily life in Spain has been completely disrupted. Uh, what's what's daily life like there right now? Yeah, everything is completely shut down, just perhaps similar to how it is in Italy. Uh, the prime minister came on television Saturday night, uh, announced a state of alarm, which another way to say state of emergency here in Spain. The police and even the military are patrolling the streets. Everything is shut down. The way things are made open are banks, uh, supermarkets, gas stations. People are still allowed to travel to go to work if the offices are still open. But basically, everything is shut down. All the stores are shut down. All the bars, restaurants, all the tapas bars, everything's shut down. Hotels are shut down. Um, yeah, and it, I don't. Th- it was kind of a surprise in Spain a little bit because you know the situation here in Spain is actually uh, getting worse. It's quite bad in Madrid. I think Spain is just behind Italy now in terms of confirm cases and you know it's kind of getting that spike effect i mean i think the cases are doubling almost every day um but it's yeah i mean here i am stuck in my apartment big difference i think between perhaps what might be like in the u.s compared to europe is most people here live in an apartment that's uh maybe the size of most people's den back in the united states uh living space is much smaller uh i'm just here with my wife so it's not too bad we have three bedrooms and uh we have a, even have like a little patio in the back of our, our apartment. But I can't imagine some of these other families that have two, three, four kids packed into really a very small living space compared to the United States. No one really has a, a garden here or a lawn or anything like that. And basically, the order is to stay in your house and don't come out for two weeks. So I think this is uh, actually day two of this, this lockdown. 
And I snuck out today under the guise of just going to buy some groceries. I found some toilet paper, which was a, a big coup for our household because there isn't any toilet paper in Spain, just like most places in the world. Um, but it's surreal. I mean, I don't think people really realized how severe this lockdown was going to be in Spain. Uh, yesterday, I did a, a report on Velo News about uh, pros. You know, a lot of the pros live in Girona, different places in Spain. Pros were going to go out for a bike ride yesterday. I was planning on going for a bike ride yesterday thinking that, uh, yeah, the, the social distancing, riding your bike by yourself, no big deal. But uh, uh, bike riding for recreational purposes is banned. And that includes uh, the pros in Girona. They were all stopped and said they'd be fined because the fear is not so much that you'll be infected or spread the infection, but if you fall and break your leg, like I broke my collarbone last uh, last summer, that wasn't planned, uh, that it, it'll overwhelm the uh, healthcare system, which already is right now at its limits with coronavirus cases, and they don't want to risk taking away attention or an ambulance or an ICU bed from someone whose life might be on the line to treat somebody's broken collarbone. So that's why the ban is in place in Spain. Uh, Anna Malik uh, Van Vluten was up on Tenerife. So was Tom Dumoulin. Those guys got out of there. I know that riders were at uh, Sierra Nevada training camps at Tenerife, the Canary Islands, as well, all the riders in Girona. They're all locked down. They can't ride. So it's a different world we're waking up to uh, this week in Spain. Yeah, I think the um, – look, these are these – are, I, I have no doubt that these are smart precautions and that, um, you know, as inconvenient as they may be, we, we all hope and we all pray that these help um, turn the tide and stop the spread of this and, you know, help the social good. And if they can prevent uh, one person from getting this virus and another person from dying, then I think it's all, all worthwhile. Um, I think something that you guys both touched on there was the speed in which the world has changed. When we linked up on this podcast a week ago, like I said, you know, Strada Bianca and the Italian races had been canceled, but we were still looking at a pro cycling calendar that, oh, was changing, but still kind of resembled the one we were used to. Now in the last week, uh, we have um, half of the spring classics are canceled. E3, Gent-Wevelgum, Flanders and Roubaix are technically still on, but I don't think anyone holds out hope that those races are going to continue. Tour of the Alps, Catalonia, Redlands Bicycle Classic, Seattle Classic, uh, the Pro CX Mountain Bike Races, the Cape Epic, um, basically all pro road and mountain bike races until um, late, mid to late May are canceled or postponed. And, um, you know, countries have declared states of emergency, riders have pulled out or self-quarantining. Um, just the the speed at which this happened, I think, to me, was, uh, you know, what made last week such an unbelievable week in the world of pro cycling. In my years covering it, I've never seen um, a week quite like last week at all. And I think that all of us in the media have been sort of scrambling to try and wrap our, our heads around what this means. I mean, the big one is that the Giro is postponed until an undisclosed date. Um, the first three stages in Hungary have been canceled. So our first grand tour of the season, uh, yeah, has been, has been wiped off the slate. Well, that's going to be the next big question. A lot of these races are hoping to reschedule, uh, you know, when, when Strada Bianca and Terreno are whacked, you think, okay, we can, uh, put Strada Bianca and maybe San Remo and tack them in on at the end of the season after uh, Giro de Lombardia. Now the Giro is trying to uh, find a place in the calendar. So that's going to create just all kinds of complications for 
you can imagine not only logistics, logistics in the race organization within the police trying to reorganize the race route but also within the calendar i mean are you going to have a calendar that maybe breaks open again in june and we just start packing all these races in or do certain races just have to fall on the sword and and uh just kind of give up pull up the stakes and say we'll see you in 2021 so the big question really is how long is this going to last uh the, the general feeling here in spain is that the hope is that this lockdown is going to slow down the spike of infections so that the system isn't overwhelmed at one time and basically spread that infection rate out over a longer period. So I think that this idea that maybe suddenly, as soon as it gets warm or when summer breaks out, that coronavirus is going to go into hibernation and would be go back to life and normal. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. So it has huge implications, not only just for the immediate uh, short term, but also trying to reschedule races, but also even if we can have races even two or three down, months down the road. So it's going to be, you know, uncharted territory here, obviously. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be too easy to really plan anything right now for at least the next several weeks. It's important to, tr to try to, the more you think about it, the more you understand the complexity of the various dimensions of this. Uh, Mark Mario said today, the director or manager of, uh, Group M FDG, in rescheduling these races or trying to, you have to be very careful not to squash the smaller races. So because the big races like the Giro, they're always they're still going to exist, even if we miss a year, they're going to exist. But if all of a sudden these bigger races come in and take the place of smaller ones, those smaller ones could could die. I mean, a lot of those small races are living on a shoestring, um, very tenacious. And he said, you know, it's very important to maintain the sort of pyramid that is bicycle racing of, you know, top down. But you, you got to have the small races, too. And if all of a sudden the calendar is flipped upside down, sideways, whatever, and uh, all of a sudden, say, the Giro comes in in the middle of, you know, when there's a whole lot of smaller races uh, scheduled uh, and sucks up, uh, you know, and pretty much squashes them, you know, you, you could lose a whole la layer of cycling down the road. Yeah, that's interesting perspective. I think that, you know, that that that's a really good point. I think the challenging thing when we look at the potential for a Giro or a tour to be canceled is that the only examples we have are from, you know, 60 years ago during the uh, during the wars, um, you know, World War One and World War Two. So we haven't seen a modern era cancellation of these races. And um, I still think there would be lingering questions about the Im the financial impact on those races. Like, what would it take to bring them back? Um, these are questions. These are just existential questions that I don't have the answer to. Um, there has been some talk, like Andy said, about trying to squish everything into this midsummer into fall period. Now, those you know that presents its own set of challenges in that we could see an entire you know uh, nine ten month cycling season squished into like three or four months, which would have a tremendous impact on the riders and the teams and the resources and all the staffers, et cetera. Um, Andy, have you been reading or hearing any um, perspective on what it might look like to try and pack all these races in during a short period of time? Yeah, I think another wrinkle just in terms of trying to reschedule races this year would be, of course, the Olympics right there in the middle of uh, this hole. And Olympics are starting late July in Japan. That's going to be a big season peak for a lot of the big stars, obviously. So that's just making this situation almost 
that much more crowded and complicated in terms of uh, trying to reschedule and find a place in the calendar. I will say, though, just in the calls I was making last week to mainly I was talking to sport directors and team managers, there is a sense of uh, kind of camaraderie and the sense of everyone's in this boat together and that uh, everyone knows this is kind of a, a big threat to bike racing and, and its place. Uh, you know, within the European schedule, just internationally as well. And I think there's a spirit that everyone wants to try to find a solution that they can work together. Perhaps it will be shortening of race dates, you know, say the Giro does want to, you know, maybe it's important for the Giro to have the Giro, but instead of having it three weeks, we can't, you know, like, like James said, we can't squash out a race that's already there trying to keep its race alive. So there might be some compromise there in terms of maybe shortening some of these races to might you know, make them fit in. Uh, also, you can't have uh, uh, the implications of, you know, trying to force riders to to race all their race days packed into a, a you know, six, eight, ten week window. But there's also other, other implications, too. You know, a rider, uh, you know, say you're a rider off contract this year. That's going to put a pinch on them. Also, implications are, uh, you know, an older rider who needs results to get a contract extension for next year or a younger rider trying to fight, a, fight for his spot on a team and that second contract that's always so hard to get or of course all the uh soigneurs and the bus drivers and a lot of these staff the people on the teams they're paid by the day they're paid by on a chit system you know so it's not like the the riders i think are got their salaries they should be okay but i think some of the real heavy burdens are going to be on the lower levels of these races you know within the race organizations of teams and even a lot of these races just hire people seasonally or you know the tour de france hires you know hundreds of people just during the tour so a lot of those people are going to be uh feeling the pinch financially you know if this if this kind of pause continues for a long time yeah we're seeing a lot of that talk right now in the states around people who yeah rely on the gig economy you know 1099 tax forms people who are um freelance you know here in denver uh, they have canceled all of the uh, recreational programs at the rec centers, which, you know, is smart and like you don't want kids and you don't want people showing up. But that's, you know, that's a big pinch on all of the um, swim instructors and coaches and, you know, fitness class instructors who rely on those, um, you know, week in, week out classes to pay their bills. Um, in American pro sports, we've seen now the NBA cancel its season the nhl major league baseball has postponed the start of its season and we also saw the ncaa tournament um cancel it and you know it's the right thing to do and don't get people together and and keep the players safe and keep the fans safe but there's also a pretty big impact that has on the staff at the stadiums and the arenas who rely on those games and those paychecks to be able to pay their bills so you know, let's back up a little bit, and I, I want to dig into Perry Nice because this might be the final um, pro bike race that we see for a while. And um, James, you know, you have a really unique perspective because you were there. Um, we connected during the second stage, and you had talked about the measures that the race was taking with social distancing and no kisses on the podium and no um, interactions with media. As the week went on, we saw some teams pull out of the event with Bahrain, uh, McLaren and Israel Startup Nation pulling out. Um, you know, James, as the week progressed and the news around coronavirus became more pronounced and some of these teams um, pulled out, what impact did that have on the riders, the team directors, and just sort of the general mood and attitude around that race? I, I don't know the exact reasons why those teams uh, pulled out. I think 
uh, McLaren, it was, there were some logistic issues. And then, you know, like uh, Mads Pearson, the Danish, the Danish government uh, called, uh, you know, its citizens to come back home as, you know, as a world champion and, you know, a, a public figure in Denmark, Pedersen uh, decided to do that. So he didn't start the last day. Um, so, you know, there's different, you know, there's different dynamics with all these people in these countries. I th- you know, I, th- I think most of the people try to, you know, stay positive about it and say, well, you know, this is it. This is the last one. We're going to, you know, get the most out of it. Um, nobody, obviously nobody at the race felt threatened. Uh, I remember talking uh, to uh, Guillaume uh, Bouvan, the Quebecois rider, uh, Quebecois rider from, from Israel cycling. He said, you know, we, these hygiene and sanitary measures, I mean, we're doing that all the time. I mean, that's, that's the existence of a pro cyclist is to stay healthy and to avoid getting sick. And we do so many things already. Um, so he said, you know, he didn't feel like the extra measures that were being put in place really affected the teams that much. And the, and I don't know anybody here that felt like their own health was, was at risk being at a bike race. Um, but there was a sense that, you know, Hey, well, what are we doing? I mean, everything else is closing down. The country's grinding to a halt. The world's grinding to a halt. We're still out here on this bike race. Um, and, and, but it's, you know, that it was just, it was, it was very strange in some ways because I mean, bike racing is, you know, it's always a world in itself that you I forget who said it, but you know, there could be world war three and the and tour de France would still go on. I mean, it was an exaggeration, but you know, we, we always live in this little bubble and this world of our own. And that's part of the charm of the sport. But in situations like this, it's also something that that's very complicated. It, you almost feel guilty going on and having this nice little pretty wonderful bike race. Again, we're, you know, much of the week we're in this bubble and I would be, out, you know, I was on a moto. I was in the race with these guys covering the event like I cover any other bike race. And then we get to the finish and I get back to the press room and I'm sure the riders would go turn on their phones and stuff. And you just would realize how many, you know, how much more the world had changed since you started that morning. And then, you know, but everybody knew that this was it. You know, so it was kind of like, I keep thinking of Casablanca, you know, I mean, the, the world's crashing around them and, and, and they knew before, well, you know, uh, while well, Lauren McCall and Humphrey Bogart were in Paris, that, you know, they were in this little suspended world as soon as the uh, Germans marched in and, and their world would be shattered. And you kind of felt that very much. We were still moving along the way we always do, but we knew that come Saturday or Sunday, uh, everybody was going to wake up to a very different world. That was interesting. I mean, James kind of answered one of my questions was just how safe the riders felt. Uh, some of the feedback I was getting was the same of what uh, James talked to the writer about just how much already the teams are so conscious about uh, being uh, clean and having a, a clean work environment for the riders that the impact of that wasn't so much a change for the, for the riders themselves. You know, a lot of it was just taking away the public distancing the public from the start and the finishes and along the mountaintop finales. And we often kind of wonder, is this going to be a model for perhaps how racing can continue in the coronavirus coronavirus era. And uh, that is just totally taken off the plate now, just within a week. And in fact, as we're doing this podcast, we just saw the news that Tour Roman D has been canceled, delayed, postponed, whatever. And uh, that's late April, early May. So, you know, the world's changing underneath our feet. The idea of racing and coronavirus perhaps coexisting seems to be much less of a possibility than it was even just really just a question of days. 
Yeah, and I think it speaks to, you know, the bigger point, which is, I mean, look, we're we're cycling journalists. This is what we do for a living. We fixate on this sport, and we are therefore really fixated on the impact that this coronavirus is having on the sport, the riders, the events, the teams, the staffers, the et cetera. I've read some uh, criticism online about our podcast and our coverage saying, well, why aren't you talking about the bigger picture here, which is, you know, society and health and all this stuff. And it's like, I mean, I'm not a public health official. I'm about as educated as anyone who reads the New York Times every day about what society should be uh, doing, uh, you know, in this situation. But I, you know, I guess it is a big, a, a jump ball question that I have for you guys, which is, I mean, should these events continue? Should we want to bring these events back? You know, we are living in this period where, you know, Andy, you can't leave your house. Um, James, you can't go to, you know, restaurants are closed and public areas are empty. Um, it may seem a little silly to think about bike racing in a, in a period like this, but, um, what does bike racing mean to you? And do you think we should try to bring these events back? I think it's it's well beyond anything, any of our desire. I mean, we don't, there's, it's just a matter of choice. I mean, when, when, when presidents and governments say you can't go outside, well, you can't go have a bike race. Bike racing is entertainment and, and it's an escape in some ways from the real world. There will become a point um, where, you know, we will return to some normality. And bike racing, I think, help people get back into some sort of normality. One of the greatest periods of bicycle racing in the Tour de France was right after World War II. The fact that the Tour started again helped actually re rebuild a nation um, after after World War II. Yeah, that's interesting observation, James. How much how important these events really are for local communities, for larger cycling community as a whole, and just you know what it means to a nation like France or or Italy or the classics or the Vuelta. Um, that's that's kind of my observation really is just, you know, having that whole uh, in that part of our lives, you know, we're all committed to cycling. It's, you know, this is a passion that we're lucky enough to live, be, you know, watch these races, you know, follow these races and and live them. And, uh, and just, you know, we've really grown to appreciate what they mean to to so many different kinds of people. And now we're looking at a prospect of perhaps not having them. The classics are really, you know, on the chopping block right now. You know, what's that going to mean to uh, to people in Flanders not to have the Tour of Flanders or Perry Bay this year? I mean, of course, there are larger questions, uh, but it also helps you kind of reflect about really how important it is, you know, why we love these races and why we love cycling so much and what it gives. And I think uh, it's, it's a reflection point really in terms of, you know, yeah, should we have these races now if there's a state of emergency? You know, the answer obviously would be no. That's changed very quickly over the last week or so. You know, who knows how long this is going to last? But you know, I think I'm going to take this pause, really, you know, if it is kind of a couple of months without cycling, just to kind of really reflect on, on what it means to me personally and, and uh, maybe just dig into the, some of those YouTube channels and maybe go back and watch some of those old clips of some of these old great races and sit on the uh, trainer and uh, maybe just watch YouTube for hours at a time and, and during the day. Otherwise, to help me from going crazy, I'm in lockdown. It's day two. I'm already going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I uh, you know. You, Andy and I have both been in this game for a long time and there's races we do year in and year out and there's points where you obviously get tired of them a bit or you, you're like, oh, this again. And what I found is that when I haven't done a race for a year or two and I come back to it, it's always a lot better than it was before. I'm always really happy to come back to it. And I think I think for the general public, for any bicycle fan, um, I think if, if we have to miss the Giro, the Flanders, Roubaix for a year, the tour who knows you know 
um, you know, the race will we'll be just that much happier to, to be back the next year. And I think everybody will be that much more excited by the events in a year. Obviously, there's huge economic ramifications. But again, we're just, you know, a, a very small sport in a very big world. Yeah, I think that cycling um, is going to take a break and that's a good thing. And, you know, uh, large crowds of people standing alongside the road during this coronavirus period is, period is probably the, the worst thing that can happen. And, and I understand why cycling events are so, um, you know, perceived to be detrimental and can be so detrimental to trying to um, curb the spread of virus with, you know, so many people packed in into small um, areas and, you know, people zooming from country to country. Um, but, you know, I, I'm with you guys. Like it's, it has forced me to analyze and think about my own relationship with cycling, both European cycling, which is a spectator event that we consume through um, television and media, and it's about stars and it's about the strategies and it's about winning, but also cycling here in the States, which is a participatory event, which is about training for your own event and having a, uh, you know, living, living the lifestyle and participation and racing and, you know, going after goals and this, that, and the other. And um, I think it's fine if both go away for a while, but I am an advocate that they do come back at some point because they do play really important roles in the, in the lives of people. Um, participatory events are important. Um, spectator events are important um, for us to just go back to having a normal life. Right now, the health and safety of us and our loved ones is the most important thing. And I think that when we feel like and get the clear from authorities that know much better than we do, that it's okay to return to normal life, I 100% want to see these events and this culture uh, return to the way it was. Well, yeah. And, and for, I mean, first, you've got to be able to go back and ride our bikes. You know, I mean, right now, Andy and I are, Andy's faced with a situation where he get ticketed or or taken back home if he goes out for a bike ride. And it's very possible that tomorrow morning I will wake up to that world too. And and yet, you know, it seems for anybody who's a cyclist, that seems so crazy because what's more healthy than going out for a bike ride, right? But it's, as Andy has said, uh, you know, it's also about the risk factor if you have a crash and you take up a, a hospital bed from somebody that may be dying, uh, you know, those, those are the main reasons why they're, they're, they're going to discourage us from riding. But, um, you know, first thing is I think we need to, you know, what the first step I think we'll have to getting back to the sport is being able to go out for a ride ourselves. And then, uh, shortly after that, um, you know, hopefully shortly after that, bringing together these mass events where lots of people congregate, uh, will, will take place again. Well, as the news and the um, as everything continues to evolve around coronavirus and its impact on pro cycling, we will be there. We will be reporting on it. We will be updating our website. Um, we will be putting stories in our magazine. I mean, this is something I didn't talk about, but uh, the events on Friday, which, you know, the Giro d'Italia being postponed, potentially canceled, came out. I mean, we are in the middle of producing our Giro d'Italia preview issue, uh, which is a print issue that comes out every year that has information to preview the Giro. We have changed tack on that. Um, there's been a lot of late nights and early mornings and working through the weekend for the entire Vela News staff to try and adjust the magazine content to keep up with the news. So we uh, are pretty confident that we're going to have a pretty good package on coronavirus and its impact on pro cycling in the next print issue of Vela News. But, you know, we like 
everything that has changed has had a dramatic impact on us as well. Uh, we're not complaining about it, just saying that's the way it is. But I think that everyone in the cycling space has spent the last week trying to keep up with and adjust to the changing landscape. So, uh, James and Hoodie, I'm going to let you get back to your daily knives. I appreciate you guys chiming in on the Velo News podcast. And again, uh, for the listeners out there, please stay healthy. Um, please, uh, you know, please stay healthy and happy. We wish you nothing but good health. And please, um, you know, keep tuning in. We will come back to you next week. Oh, 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 o